Sentire media. Hello you. You're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 118. Sicily goes Spanish and Naples gets big ideas. 1372 to 1414. We last visited the island of Sicily back in episode 94, when we saw the apparently endless war between Sicily and Naples. You may remember that the Normans, back in the 12th century, had actually created a kingdom of Sicily, which included all of southern Italy and Sicily, but starting with the uprising of the Sicilian Vespers in 1282 and consolidating with the peace of Anagni in 1296 and definitively with the Caltabellotta peace in 1302, the two distinct reigns of Sicily and Naples were created and would wage war on each other on and off until peace was finally reached in 1372. Ever since the creation of this new kingdom of Sicily, which was now only the island of Sicily, one element which continued to grow was the increasing power of regional barons in light of increasingly weak central royal power. Even the great success of the above-mentioned 1372 peace with Naples by King Frederick IV of Sicily was overshadowed by heavy infighting, which at a certain point forced the royal family to flee the capital, Palermo, and seek refuge with their loyal faction members. Frederick IV died in 1377, leaving the kingdom to his young daughter, Maria. Now I have to give you a name warning here. Loads of names coming at you now. As usual, just consider them as placeholders so I don't have to say that dude and that guy and this chap and that lady. It's just to give you an idea of what the situation was and give some info in case you are actually preparing an exam on late 14th century Sicily, which I'm sure many of you are busy doing. So, Maria was placed under the regency of a certain Artale de Alagona. He sort of took a look at the situation and made no attempt to try and centralise power in the hands of the Queen and consequently the regency. He opted to divide power with some of the main families representing the main factions which already held and fought over various government positions which was the way they managed to achieve and hold influence. Artale, the regent, brought in Manfredi III, Chiaromonte, Francesco II, Ventimiglia, Guglielmo Peralta, that's like Peralta from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which basically resulted in the island being divided into four parts. At this point, it was open season on a young, unmarried girl who was the heir to the throne of a kingdom, 
in a very strategic position which had been and was the breadbasket of Italy. At a certain point, someone was so intent on having their way on who Maria should end up marrying that they kidnapped the poor girl for King Peter IV of Aragon. Now, the whole idea of the king was to keep things as they had been, with the king taking care of his holdings in Spain and leaving a minor line of the family to manage things in Sicily, like a second or third son. Keeping this in mind, he married Maria, heiress to the Kingdom of Sicily, to the son of his second son, both confusingly named Martin, known obviously as the older and the younger. Then, of course, as it does, fate stepped in. Peter IV of Aragon died. His first son, John, died. Maria of Sicily died in 1401, and her husband, Martin the Younger, died fighting in Sardinia in 1409. And in his will, he left the Kingdom of Sicily to his dad, Martin the Elder, who by now found himself King of Aragon and King of Sicily. And just like that, hey presto, Sicily had lost its independence, and in 1412 became, like Sardinia two years earlier, a part of the Kingdom of Aragon, which now ruled from Spain down through the Balears, through Sardinia and down to Sicily. Independent Sicily had made it from 1296 to 1412. So, did that totally confuse you? Well, that's great. After the break, we're going to cross over the Strait of Messina, the closest point between Sicily and the Italian mainland, to go over and see how things were going in the Kingdom of Naples. And that was even more confusing. Whether you are heading off to Naples, or to Sicily, or you just want to try your hand at besieging Rome, why not? You may need the help of DB. Indeed, today's episode is presented by DB. DB is a Scandinavian brand that makes backpacks and bags to help people on the move stay ready for anything, even a barbarian invasion. From the streets to the peaks, DB's gear is travel-tested by some of the world's best athletes, adventurers, and creators. Over the past decade, DB has designed and developed, released and refined the best bags on the market. With DB's patented hookup system, you are able to attach smaller products to your backpack, roller, or tote. You'll never again forget those little bits and bobs that you always do. We are teaming up with DB to exclusively offer our listeners 10% off your next purchase by using the code POD10, that's P-O-D-1-0, or going to the link in our show notes. DB, it's time to move on. Time to get going. Before the break... I made the tantalizing promise of making things even more confusing for you. 
I hope you've got your headache medicine at the ready. I will try and help you out a bit. First of all, I'll give you the very, very big picture of how things went and then perhaps go into greater detail where you will be allowed to get distracted. But please don't turn it off altogether, otherwise you will ruin my listening through statistics. And here I have to put in a little digression thank you to you. Thank you very, very much, not only for listening, but for generally listening all the way through to the end. Indeed, a history of Italy has a consumption rate of over 95%. This means that you are actually listening all the way through or use me as an effective way to fall asleep and forget to turn it off at night. Anyway, here we go. When we spoke about Joanna of Naples, we saw that she had ended up being deposed by Charles of Dures, representing another line of the family of the Anjou, to which Joanna herself belonged. The consequence was that the two Angevin lines continued to fight it out for the throne of Naples until, at a certain point, Joanna II adopted the Aragonese king Alphonse V of Aragon, obviously, as her successor. She would then change her mind a couple of times before her death, but the end result was that by 1442, Alphonse V of Aragon became King of Naples. This extended the Spanish influence we spoke about at the start of the episode also to the Italian mainland. That was the simple version. At this point, you may be asking yourself, why do we have to go and complicate things? Isn't this enough? Please, please have mercy on us. Well, you should know by now that the object of this podcast is not only to inform, but also, if at all possible, to entertain. So, if we didn't take a more in-depth look, we would not have the opportunity to talk about Joanna II of Naples, known as the Mad, or even the Insatiable. Before we get to her, however, we need to follow her father and brother to see how she popped out. So let's follow the ruling line of the Duras Angevins, keeping in mind that the French Angevins were always on the scene and even took over parts of the kingdom for short periods. Charles of Naples of the Duras Anjou line was the one, as we saw, that took the throne from Joanna I and then had her killed in 1382. For you fans of Queen Johanna, perhaps you have a poster of her in your bedroom, you will be pleased to know that he also met a sticky end, getting poisoned while in prison in Hungary after trying to take the throne of the country for himself. He left a son, Ladislaus, who was nine at the time, and an older daughter, Joanna. The widow of Charles I of Naples, Charles of Duras, mother of the two little tykes, Margaret of Duras, tried to hold on to her son's throne, 
But when the French Angevins under Louis II put the pressure on, the royal family was forced to flee into exile. When Ladislao turned 23, he managed to get his kingdom back and could keep it until his death. He soon proved that he was no pushover. Indeed, he was clever, ruthless, and at times despotic. Once he was able to gain power, he had his rivals and enemies assassinated. He was also an accomplished military leader and very ambitious as he looked to extend his kingdom. Now, if you take a look at the Kingdom of Naples, you will see it covered all of the southern part of the Italian peninsula. If one wanted to expand from there, you would have to go either over to Sicily, and we have seen that that was never really a walk in the park, or you could head north towards the Papal States. We'll need to do a bit of catching up on the Papal States. For now, suffice it to say that despite the decent work of Papal delegates, such as Bertrando del Poggetto in the early 1300s, and that of Gilles de Arbonots in the mid-1300s, the absence of the Pope from Rome had left a bit of a power vacuum that had been filled by local lords, especially in the Romagna area. Ladislaus managed to take such important cities as Perugia and other parts of Umbria, and even went so far as to threaten Florence, and to besiege Rome herself. He wasn't obviously allowed to walk around doing this unopposed. As soon as things looked threatening, Florence started to get alarmed and set up an alliance with the unlikely Siena as its ally. Ladislaus, for his part, showed that he also had some diplomatic skills and managed to bring Genoa in on his side, as well as Venice, by promising them the rights that he had over Dalmatia. In the end, not much came out of it, and the Florentines and their allies managed to lift the siege of Rome, and peace was reached, and for the moment, all were friends again. That only lasted a little while, and soon Ladislaus, king of Naples, was at it again, and this time he managed to actually take Rome and give it a good, old-fashioned sacking. It really seemed that this king of Naples would be a thorn in the side of many on the Italian political scene. He had the ambition and the cunning to really carve out some influence for himself on the peninsula and threaten the papal states, central Italy and even northern Italy. However, at the height of his power, Ladislaus I, known as the magnanimous, died. As we, friends of a history of Italy, know, nothing complicates your carving out a kingdom in Italy for yourself as your own death. Due to his young age, he was only 38, I'm not old, I'm 37, some people suspected that he had been poisoned. However, it was a lot more likely that he died from some nasty infection of his private bits. 
You see, we haven't yet mentioned that he tended to use them quite frequently and on an array of different young ladies. It may have been the ladies in question who gave him the name the Magnanimous, because it definitely wasn't his enemies. The court of King Ladislaus of Naples, first of his name, was a rather naughty place. One might even say lascivious, especially as one had gone to all the effort finding out how to pronounce it. Basically, it means naughty and having a desire for lots of hanky-panky. It is in this court that Ladislaus' older sister, Joanna, spent her time, with nothing to do but watch all the naughtiness going on and at times get involved herself. She had not been trained or raised to rule at all. She had been, as sisters of rulers often are, a bargaining chip in various political manoeuvres. Indeed, when her brother Ladislaus died, she was already a widow. So it was that in 1414, the 43-year-old Joanna, sister of the king, became Joanna II of the Kingdom of Naples. She could not have been less prepared. Thank you very, very much for listening. Thanks in particular to my wonderful Patreon supporters who have now reached the amazing number of 100. Thank you, thank you, one and all. Let's start by thanking the second part of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, Kevin, Marcelo, Mark P, Marxist-Leninist Sicilian, Mela, Michus Porchus, Mike M, Neville, Paradise, Patrizia Kappa, Roberta D, Rod L, Rodney N, the Question Master, Rudy F, Sam, Scott L, Sean M, Shauna S, Shelby, Stephen, Tap Dance Down Under, and TO5. And of course, the tippy top Maria Montessori and Dante Alighieri level, Paolo, Lisa K, Andrew M, Brandon S, David A, Peter W, Kevin O, David L, Rinat, and of course, Sen. Among those, I would really, really like to welcome Shauna S, who was actually the 100th patron, Callan Benkt, Tap Dance Down Under, lovely name, would be interested to hear the history behind that, and Anne T. Thank you, thank you one and all, and welcome to the family. I would also really like to thank Dom Tony for his lovely review on iTunes, as well as Caroline P. Remember, if you are so inclined, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com At the same URL, you can click through to our social media and go to our support page where you can become a Patreon supporter or support on PayPal, for which I thank you very much in advance. Thank you once again for listening, and until next time, Arrivederci!
Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.